Hi, welcome to the Opposing Points podcast. I'd like to welcome Kevin Oreck from McIlvaney ICA. Kevin, how are you doing? No, I'm doing well. How are you, David? I'm good. I'm well. Um, good. So I wanted to, to get right into it and start talking a little bit um, about the economy. But first, I think it would be really good to have an introduction about uh, your background and, uh, and, and just a little bit about that. Sure, sure. Uh, I've been in the precious metals business since 1987 uh, with a company that is almost 50 years old, started by Don McIlvaney uh, back in 1972. Uh, I actually was a student uh, of economics when I started figuring out that the fiat system and this whole Federal Reserve system didn't make any sense. I mean, it made sense to the people who could get rich, but it didn't make sense to the average person on the street. So I uh, started reading Don McIlvaney's newsletter, The Man Who Owns the Company, and uh, started writing my reports very differently uh, than everyone else in the economics school that I was in, and uh, ultimately uh, came to work back in 1987 in a field that, you know, I haven't, I haven't regretted one day. So that's my background. Awesome. Um, so uh, I think, think the economy is something that, that, both presidents are, are kind of touting. Um, Donald Trump seemed to think it was the sole indicator of, of prosperity. Right now, we're, we're hitting record highs. Um, yet people are feeling pain at the pump, um, pain with the supply chain, uh, price inflation. I saw uh, someone post a screenshot from Walmart the other day, what basically the milk, uh, price of a gallon of milk was is almost doubled. Um, yes. And many are placing that blame uh, squarely on, on Biden. Biden's economy is failing yet the stock market's super high. Can you talk about why that might be a fair or unfair characterization? Does it go beyond one president um, or is it exacerbated because people are unwillingness to work? How much impact does, you know, the, it's a loaded question, but how much impact can he possibly have? Yeah, yeah, it's a completely unfair, you know, it's unfair to blame Biden for, you know, the deficit. Uh, he, I mean, obviously he's putting forward huge, 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 uh, plans to spend lots of money. But honestly, every president has uh, since we, especially since we went off the gold standard back in 1971. Uh, if, if you don't mind, I'll give a little bit of history, uh, mm -hmm. because I think what we'll see is Republican or Democrat. What we did was we disconnected the system from any kind of discipline, uh, especially back in 1971. But it goes back to you know the 1800s. We had a very fair monetary system because the dollar was a receipt it was worth one twentieth of an ounce of gold. And so you could take a $20 gold piece, uh, one ounce gold coin, and you could buy a loaf of bread per day for a year. So if you had a family that ate a loaf of bread a day, bread was six cents a loaf, gold was 20 bucks, you could take a $20 bill or uh, a $20 gold piece and, and buy a year of bread. Now, what makes that interesting is this, that standard showed discipline to the government. In other words, they couldn't spend more money than what they could tax. And of course, they didn't like that. So by, you know, by World War I, it started breaking down. And then we had uh, the, night, the roaring 20s. The government started deficit spending far more than they had gold to redeem these $20 bills in. And in 1933, Franklin Roosevelt, finally, he, he said, okay, well, we're going to devalue gold to 135th or the dollar to 135th of an ounce of gold. We went through World War II that way, and of course, Europe was decimated. So when, it, when the question came, what currency will emerge as the world's reserve currency after World War II, uh, there was a meeting in uh, uh, Bretton Woods, 
that determined whether it would be the dollar or whether it was going to be the British pound. And, and the dollar won, but the only way the dollar won was to give the guarantee that the dollar would remain for the whole world a receipt for gold at 135th of an ounce. So anyone worldwide who had $35 should have the ability to trade that dollar for gold. And so that worked through the 1950s. I mean, they, we started that in 1944, the Bretton Woods system, and uh, worked through the 1950s. In, in the 1960s, Johnson came along. Now, if we're going to blame a president, Johnson did a lot of damage because uh, he started huge, unpayable, or, or excuse me, uh, unaffordable social programs. You know, we had the Apollo program, we had the social programs, we had the Vietnam War. And so the United States government started spending far more than they had gold in the, in the vault. And by the late 60s, Charles de Gaulle was informed by his advisor, uh, Jacques Roof, that he better start trading dollars in for gold quickly, because we're going to have to close the gold window here in the United States. And in August of 1971, Nixon, okay, so now we have a Republican, we had a Democrat, and then we have a Republican. Nixon closed the gold window, and no longer was the dollar redeemable in any gold, period. We went off the gold standard completely. And at that time, a loaf of bread, um, you know, was a little less than a buck. Uh, actually, a loaf of bread, if you go back and look at history, it's been... I was just talking to a woman before we got on this call, and she said, I remember in the 1950s, a loaf of bread being a dime. Today, a loaf of bread is between 4 and $6 a loaf, depending on how healthy you want to eat. And if you look at an ounce of gold, you know, $20 100 years ago would buy six cents a loaf. Today, it takes $1,800 to buy 365 loaves of bread. So We've been through Republican and Democrat presidents all the way through, and we've continued to just destroy the value of the currency. I know that was a long-winded answer, but I think it sets up a lot of the answers for you know the rest of the interview. Right. I think I think what a lot of these elections are about are sort of in the margins. So you, you like here here in Virginia, it was really the 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 cultural war that was leaned into. You know, probably very minimal things will be done with how much is spent, uh, regardless of whether you have Trump or Biden. It's more about the cultural issues that people are really voting on. Government's just growing regardless. Exactly. Yeah, it never goes backwards. It never goes backwards. So the Leviathan, we call it the Leviathan, and it just feeds on you know, this printed money. I, at this point, of course, since we have no gold backing, we can print as much as we want. In fact, we've learned a new trick. And the trick is print as much as you want, and then borrow as much as you want, and buy or loan yourself the money with printed money and keep interest rates low. So you and I, we can't print money. We can't earn enough interest to keep up with inflation. That's the scheme. It's called financial repression. And the idea is, sure, run as large a deficit as you want because we'll never ever pay it back. What we'll do is we'll just print enough money to devalue that deficit over time because we're devaluing the currency that we pay it back in. It's a, it's a clever scheme for the elite, and it's a horrible scheme for the hoi polloi, you know. So with all of this going on, um, gotcha. is, is it exacerbated by people's unwillingness to return to work? You know, because we, we also have a, we also have a, a pandemic, and, and what, what people argue is that this is unprecedented. Um, we have to do all these, run all these deficits. Um, 
what 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 can a government or what is the role of a government when we have a situation like this where where people are scared to go into work and um etc because um you know I, I think we had covid which was bad but if this were worse i think if it were for let's say uh, a, a highly deadly disease that had a high transmission rate and you know 30 killed 30 percent of people you we might see the same thing happen here yeah, and you know, you bring up COVID and that it's a very complex issue, but if we take COVID out of the balance and we just say, okay, what throughout history have governments needed to do? Uh, a government that is trying to grow and survive generally has to go to coercive action. They have to, they have to find something that they can maneuver the people to do, uh, whether it's monetary, you know, trading in a currency that, uh, literally has no value except for the paper that it's printed on. Or uh, like with COVID, we've got an unusual situation and it's highly emotionally charged because at this point, anything I say going forward, people are going to try to figure out whether I'm anti-vax or pro-vax or this or that. But the, the real point is this, the fear of death has always been the tool of governments throughout history, the fear of death. Okay, if you take it to its, it, its furthest consequence. And what that, that fear of death actually is a very, very powerful tool in the hands of the statists if they can mm. control it. Right now, COVID, yeah. COVID represents the fear of death, but I don't think actually people not going back to work has a lot to do with COVID, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at the supply chain situations, and I talk to people all day long who are like, you know, I'm going to lose my job before I take the vax. Well, whether you agree or not, I'm talking some of these people are professionals that, you know, $200,000, $300,000 a year jobs, they are willing to walk away from before being forced or coerced to do something that they don't feel uh, they're making the decision on, but they're being forced to do. Mm -hmm. Now, whether a person is pro or against the vaccine, you got to respect the fact that somebody says, no, you're not going to push me. And what that does, that creates an immediate drop in uh, economic uh, productivity, GDP, uh, because you've got people not going to work. The other thing too, and unfortunately what we see, we've seen this with communist countries. This is really not unprecedented. Communist countries find ways to pay people not to work all the time. And uh, I remember visiting uh, Dresden, Germany, not long after the Berlin Wall fell back in the 1980s and talking to people who were former communists and now they were in West, or they were in a free Germany, not an Eastern Germany like they were before. And it was sad because these were good people, but they had never learned a work ethic. Uh, they were not happy that the wall fell because they were receiving, even though they were impoverished, they were receiving a check whether they worked or not. Once you do that to the human spirit, I think you find that it's, not, it's very difficult to get back that work ethic once you start paying people not to work. Awesome. Um, I, I think I think that's uh, totally makes sense. And we, we also have, I think, the people that that are uh, that have chosen to, to get vaccinated also would would largely refuse to go into work if they know people aren't vaccinated. So we, so we've got like a weird double edged sword that businesses have to uh, figure out or now they're, they're forced to, to figure out. We do. And I think that's something uh, to consider. And I, I just look at the economy now, uh, the last uh, you know, crash 2008, 2000. It seems like uh, these sorts of practices, like subprime mortgage crisis, 
these just kind of keep happening. Dot com bubble. Uh, we have the college bubble going on. Um, what has changed since that crisis? Um, and, and if nothing has changed, uh, what kind of incentivizes these actions? Is it capitalist greed? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. OK, so capitalism, and it's an interesting word because capitalism has to do with the free market and ownership of your own property. All right. That's so capitalism in and of itself is not is not a, necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. It's you know, it's just a neutral. It's a economic philosophy. Uh, I think capitalism gets mislabeled to what we actually have now, which is a mercantilist fascist kind of system where you have government, uh, you know, look at Tesla, uh, you know, Elon Musk is highly successful, but you and I as a taxpayer are paying a lot of that. He hasn't had to really earn a profit <laughs> during this meteoric rise. Yeah. So, you know, we don't have to go down that road, but government and Google, government and uh uh, Tesla government and the, the that's what fascism is it's corporatism tied to the government and so that's not really capitalism now what we have also with the federal reserve system and I like to imagine it you know those plastic shipping things with the bubbles okay yes. mm -hmm. if you can imagine uh, nothing's changed the bubbles just moved okay you, you had mentioned the tech stock bubble Okay, before the tech stock bubble, we had a bubble in the savings and loan industry, and we moved that bubble over to the tech stock bubble. I remember those years back, about 96 to the year 2000, where tech stocks were just exploding. They were not only, you know, granted, tech is very important, but it wasn't as important as uh, anything with dot-com behind it being more valuable than something that actually produces. I, re I remember in 1999, you remember pets.com? I don't know if you remember, there was a, you, you might be too young actually to remember this, but I've there was heard a, of it. Yeah, okay, there was a sock puck. There was this sock puppet that uh, represented this pets.com and people were gonna order their dog food online mm -hmm. back in 1999. Well, that IPO, uh, that public offering actually got to be larger than all of the airlines in the United States put together. Now, of course, they pets.com doesn't exist anymore. But so you have these fad bubbles. And when they pop, what happens is the stock market gets extraordinarily overvalued relative to the earnings of the companies. Okay, so if you and I had a, let's say you had a hot dog stand there in Manhattan, and you earn 100,000 bucks a year, and I call you and I say, hey, David, I'll pay you a million bucks for that hot dog stand. You're getting 10 years of earnings if you're earning 100,000 bucks a year. If I offer you 2 million, you're getting you know, 20 years of earnings. Right now, because bubble after bubble, we had the tech stock bubble and then Greenspan moved it over into the real estate bubble by uh, allowing for artificially low interest rates and you know, subsidized loans uh, from the government. Then the bubble moved to the government debt bubble, which we've been in since 2008, okay? Where they just are printing unlimited amounts of money. But going back to the hot dog stand, uh, if I were to offer you 3.9 million bucks for a hot dog stand mm -hmm. that earns 100,000 a year, that's 39 times earnings. Well, the stock market is happiest at 14 times earnings. In other words, if I ever, you know, offered you 1.4 million for that $100,000 a year hot dog stand. Right now it's at 3.9 million. It always, the stock market always falls back down where the price to earnings ratio is about 14. 
So are we overvalued? Yeah, we're just in another bubble. We're in the everything bubble right now. Bonds are high, stocks are high. The only thing that's really not that high, um, to be quite honest, and I think it's being manipulated, is uh, precious metals. They're about the right price, but when when the hand of manipulation comes off of them, they'll go way beyond that 365 loaf of bread price for a short period of time, and then they'll come back down. So, can you talk a little bit more about uh, the manipulation going on? How how is it um, how is it manipulated? Sure, sure. Well, right there where you are, uh, you know, there on the south side of Manhattan is where it happens for the most part, and uh, the contract market. Okay. If we're trading precious metals on a daily basis, there's guys like me who actually have the real precious metals. I mean, whether they're bars, coins, whatever, that only represents a small fraction of what's traded on a daily basis on what they call the futures contract market. And what the futures contract market is, is that's me promising to pay you a certain amount of ounces sometime in, uh, let's say, February. And we're trading those contracts. Well, those contracts represent between 100 and 500 times more than the actual physical product that could back those contracts up. So what it is, it's a shell game. It's a gentleman's game where we say, look, nobody take delivery of your contract and we can play this game for almost forever, okay? Well, you can do that both directions. I can buy a contract for gold that's called going long or I can sell a contract in the future going short hoping that the market will go down and I can buy the product before I have to deliver it to you. So you have Morgan Stanley and you have some of these guys out there who accumulate huge amounts of metal, not so that it will go up like silver, but they, they accumulate this metal so that they can support short contracts and push the market down. Now, why would anybody manipulate other than there's two types of manipulation. There's manipulation to make a profit. And I can't fault anybody for that. I mean, that's just what big money always does. They, you buy a market or sell a market enough to affect it, and then you go profit one direction or another. That's the profit motivation. The other motivation, however, is if you're the Federal Reserve, if you're you know, Jerome Powell, and you're trying to, to keep people from seeing one of the lead indicators of inflation, which throughout history has been the price of gold, well... All you have to do is sell contracts into the market to push that price down. It doesn't last for forever, but it does have enough of an impact. Um, and you can do the same thing with the stock market. I remember when Clinton was in office, if he would speak at 10 in the morning, the stock market would start rallying while he spoke every time. Okay, yeah. well, these guys were feeding it into the market to make it look like everybody's happy with Clinton. It's, yes. it's just politics. I think Trump did yeah. that multiple times with, with yeah. just China just trade deals coming, trade deals not coming. Yeah, oh yeah. The market was just spiking. Yep. And, um, and and you mentioned the Federal Reserve created in 1913. Since then, we've, we've seen the dollar weaken. Um, and we, we, know, we know gold's value. What, what are your thoughts on other currencies, um, how they might perform compared to the dollar? Um, and why is gold a better hedge than looking at other currencies? Or... Um, uh, a lot of people are investing in Bitcoin now. So sure. how do all those kind of intertwine in terms of being able to properly diversify? Sure, sure. Well, you know, all right, I'm going to go back to a framework before I answer that question. A framework that I've used for a long time, and you and I have talked about this before, is I ask people to draw a triangle 
so that they can see their assets in three distinct categories. And the base of the triangle is how you preserve and store money. That would be gold, that's the base. The left side of the triangle would be how you risk, reward, or grow your money by taking speculative action, whether it's stocks, bonds, Bitcoin, what have you. And then the right side of the triangle is how you spend your money. Okay, so we have money that we preserve, we have money that we risk, and then we have money that we have to pay for a new roof or a new car or whatever. That's our spending money. That's the cash side. So preservation on the base, that's gold and silver. Uh, risk reward on the left side and then cash on the right side. Now, with that being said, is Bitcoin cash? Well, I've been trading Bitcoin for a while and I have found that it's not. It's hard to use. It's expensive to use. It may settle down, but I'm thinking probably this is not a, this is not a slam on Bitcoin because Bitcoin is just a 13-year-old experiment. Okay, blockchain technology is fascinating. But uh, Kent Rogoff uh, with Harvard University has written a book called The Curse of Cash. And Kent, one of Kent's, I think he's accurate on is this. He's been calling for a cashless society. I don't like that, but I think we're going that direction. Mm -hmm. uh, but Ken has said, don't fool yourself with this blockchain technology. He says, whatever a government lets people innovate, they then come in and regulate, and then they appropriate to themselves. Now, Kaplan, uh, who's one of the federal, he was one of the Federal Reserve uh, presidents, uh, just recently talked about how FedCoin, mm -hmm. government FedCoin, is going to probably be in effect in the next couple of years. Okay, well, who knows? I don't know what the timing is, but I get calls from clients saying, hey, should I own Bitcoin because it looks like the government's going to a blockchain technology? Well, that's a misunderstanding. That's a disconnect. Independent blockchain technology it may or may not go up, okay? It, but you have to ask yourself, does it have a value other than the scarcity that's been manufactured into it, okay? You and I both know it takes about 6,000 kilowatt hours for computers worldwide to solve the next algorithmic problem that leads to the next Bitcoin. Well, most households, middle-income households, use about 1,000 kilowatt hours a, a month to either heat or cool or light their house. So you think, think about the economic damage. That's, that's six months of energy to come up with a unique, you know, 180 digit or 200 digit number basically that yes, it's fascinating. And it, it, it does, there's a lot of advent, uh, you know, ad advantages to the privacy, but is that a tradable currency unit, unless you can just trade it for somebody to somebody who will pay more than you did. And so right now, there are markets just like these, uh, uh, you know, these non-fungible rocks that are selling for millions of dollars on the internet. Well, that's fine, as long as you can sell a non-fungible rock to somebody for a little bit more. Otherwise, it doesn't really accomplish anything. So that going back to the triangle, and you had asked about currencies, Let's name the currencies, the government currencies that you're asking about. Okay, so the Japanese yen, the Chinese yuan, uh, the European currency, the euro, uh, the US dollar. Uh, and at this point, we're gonna have to probably start taking uh, the, the yuan far more serious because they're testing blockchain technology backing their own currency. They also are testing it with some sort of gold backing. The Chinese mm -hmm. have purchased upwards of 30,000 tons of gold over the last 10 years, not wow. to speculate on price. But uh, so the answer to the question would be this, 
all currencies worldwide right now are inflating at pretty close to the same or devaluing at pretty close to the same rate that the dollar is. Okay, so no, other currencies are not safe right now. If the Chinese, however, uh, back their currency with a blockchain technology or gold or both, it will be superior to the dollar, maybe not in habitual trading, but it will be superior to the dollar as far as stability. So we'll have to answer in kind. I wouldn't recommend currency speculation right now unless you just like to play the charts on the short-term trading. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because I know I know that certain people that are interested in gold are absolutely no on Bitcoin, don't own it. Um, some some people have have jumped from gold to to just owning Bitcoin. I think it's a really right. really heated debate among people that are passionate about it. Right. Well, and see, that's I just think it's because they don't understand the triangle. Bitcoin would never be on the base of the triangle as far as preservation of assets. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you'd have to say, okay, so what is it? Well, we, we know it's a manufactured scarcity, but should it play a role on the risk reward side? Absolutely. If a person is interested in cryptocurrency, not just Bitcoin, but Ethereum and some of these others, if it's money that you can stand to lose, there's no reason that you shouldn't play into that market to a degree. But the one thing I have to, the one concern that I would have on uh, Anytime somebody tries to say that uh, blockchain technology would replace gold, gold's got 4,000 years of history of buying 365 loaves of bread an ounce. Mm -hmm. uh, Bitcoin's got 13 years of history, and it, we, it's still fairly vague who created it. And if there is possibly, like Shor's algorithm could possibly be a solution to Bitcoin. If anybody comes up with an algorithm that gets close to solving uh, the encryption, whether it's through a quantum computer or a, uh, an algorithm that we haven't figured out, it immediately nullifies the entire value of that currency. Yeah, there's, a, there's definitely a race going on between quantum computing and quantum encryption and, and protection of, of, of this stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like fighting a war. You're always trying to keep just a little bit ahead of the technology that's shutting you down. Exactly. Um, <laughs> So, so, so you mentioned a couple of things about Bitcoin and the, and the amount of energy it would consume, the algorithm, um, and, and one of the popular arguments going about gold are that it's it's arcane. It's just that we decided this was valuable x many of years ago, and 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 people can just decide Bitcoin is now is now the base currency. Um, so, how how would a how would a, a new gold standard look? Um, you know, given that someone's not just going to carry around a, a brick of gold. Sure, sure. Well, you know, first of all, because oftentimes I get the question, well, what do I do with this? I mean, I'm not going to go to the grocery grocery store with a gold coin. And that's true. Mm -hmm. But what do you do with any investment? You cash it in for whatever the currency is, currency of choice, you know, and, you know, at the end of World War II in Japan, kimonos for a period of time for the soldiers was that was the currency of choice because the yen had collapsed. And mm -hmm. um, so whatever, you're going to cash it in for whatever it is. But here's the key. If you really were to be able to take a bird's eye view of the world and say, let's look into the vaults of the big government central banks, you'd find that about a third of their reserves is in gold. And anytime war starts to break out, uh, or any kind of uh, tensions uh, geopolitically, what you'll find is countries move to where they'll only trade in gold. Uh, Germany, uh, about 10 years ago, started to get worried that we had 
a lot of their gold, you know, 100 feet below the Federal Reserve building here, there in New York. Well, mm-hmm. Germany said, you know what, let's go ahead and give us at least a fifth back of what we have stored. I think, yeah, I think they were asking, I can't remember the tonnage, but it was like 300 tons. And I think we were maintaining a 1500 ton reserve for them. Um, well, we came back to them and we said, well, we'll be happy to do that, but it's going to take about seven years. Well, why? If it's safe and it's down there, why did that happen? And it caused a lot of tension. Well, why it, it happened was this, there is not enough gold to go around for what's the commitment or what the commitment is. Uh, so as an answer to the question, you're right. If somebody says, you know, Bitcoin's going to be the new gold and everybody just all of a sudden plays ball. So 4,000 years of habit just changes and it goes to a blockchain technology. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why blockchain couldn't be like gold, but uh, I'll believe that when I see it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Seeing is believing, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Till then I'll, I'll stick with both, but you know, preserve in gold. One of the other things is that we see a huge, huge, huge wealth gap, especially uh, with the with the pandemic, where we have basically the top one percent, and then we have everyone else. Um, and that trend has only gotten worse um, as the dollar has been delinked from gold. Right. Um, so when I think about not only maybe a young person um, looking to invest, but people who are uh, working these minimum wage jobs that used to be able to support you um, until inflation kind of destroyed them. Um, but how can, a, how can a young person or someone, someone maybe without money um, protect themselves and survive um, okay. in, in this world? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to simplify. I'm going to go back to the triangle because I was taught this 35 years ago when I came to work here. Now I have, I'm, yeah, I was 24 when I came. Now I'm 58, almost 59, I've had a chance to watch it work, not only for myself, but for all my clients. And we draw a triangle every time we talk. And I would say is if you've got three bucks, put a buck in gold, put a buck over in the stock and bond or cryptocurrency market, and then put a buck in, in cash savings. The way that'll work is this, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the gold will go up as much as the currency goes down. And we shouldn't expect it to do anything more. A lot of people have these wild ideas that gold's going to go to hundreds of thousands of dollars an ounce and they're going to get rich. And that's just, that doesn't last. Gold's always worth the same amount of bread, roughly. The left side of the triangle, the speculative side, this wealth gap was created because of the government's ability Mm -hmm. to print money and keep interest rates low. So what corporations have done, almost the entire rise in the stock market this last 10 years has been corporate buybacks. In other words, companies right now, instead of instead of going out and using the bond market to make money or what have you, they're just coming in and buying their own stock back. And that pushes the prices up, creates an asset inflation. That's where that bubble moved after you had brought up the mortgage-backed security bubble. Well, the bubble moved to government debt and stocks, and that's the bubble we're in right now. But you can still invest your dollar over there and try to make your best decisions, but then keep a dollar for spending money, which even though in an inflationary environment, um, you're going to lose, that dollar is going to lose 5 to 7 to 10% a year, depending on what you think inflation is. Um, you still have to have it to spend. And if you continue in a disciplined way to put a third on each side of that triangle, uh, until it gets to be so large, you don't need the third in cash. 
then you can put a little more on the left side and speculate with it. But if you continue to do that, you will at least, you're not having to predict the future that way. You're not having to pick every right investment. You really are not dependent on uh, whether you think it's a bull market or a bear market cycle. You're just being disciplined in your approach. Interesting. Yeah, I think, or you can uh, in invest, you know, a dollar in uh, AMC or Hertz as it's going bankrupt um, and make a ton, <laughs> yeah. make a ton, of, ton of money, a uh, ton, ton of money that way. I think, I think this, this pandemic has actually woken up quite a few people in terms of what's going on in the economy. Um, I definitely, I have, I have a friend that, you know, uh, I hadn't spoken to him for a few years. We reconnected and he starts saying things. And I'm like, wait a minute what's going on here? Are we, are we on, on the same page? And just, just looking into, into investing during this thing has really, I think, woken up some people to what's going on. Yeah. 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 And it's a difficult time because I think the government, what we're seeing is the government really wants to have surveillance on everything that we do. Uh, one of the things, again, no, no matter what your political outlook is, you have to say there's an awful lot of government overstep as far as coercion right now. We're seeing it on the COVID side of things, uh, but I think we're gonna see it on the monetary side of things too, where instead of us making our choices for our own money, after we move into a cashless system, uh, you know, it could become much more like China where mm -hmm. they have the sesame credits, where you have, you're rewarded for good behavior and you're penalized for bad behavior and uh, you're continually under uh, surveillance. So I don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer, but I think it's wise to invest in real things that don't necessarily require, um, yeah, surveillance. You can own certain things privately. Gold is one of them. Um, what about housing, buying a house, a house straight up in cash? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, in the long run, what makes gold valuable is there'll never be any more other than what they can find underground. Okay. And it's always, they add about 2% per year to the world's supply. And that's been historic. Even as technology has improved, it seems that it's about 2% addition per year of gold. Real estate, on the other hand, you're not adding any new real estate. It's just surface of the earth. Okay. You're done. We know where every square foot of the earth is. So any real estate that you buy that, that's not manufactured scarcity with hopes that nobody solves an algorithm like crypto. Mm -hmm. That's actually just scarcity, period. So it's real estate's a good investment. Here's the problem, though. And this goes back to the subprime crisis. This goes back to where we're at now. The question is, uh, I mean, we're all, I'm sitting in a house right now that's right now valued far more than it's probably worth. Well, why? Because everybody, it's the bubble. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I sell the house and, and bank some money right now, well, where am I going to go live? It's, it's the question we all have. Real estate's a good investment, but what I would recommend is there's two types of real estate. There's the surface of the earth real estate, and then there's the real estate you can keep in your pocket. And I, I hate to sound like an advertisement, but gold is real estate. It's real and it's a state. And so when you know that real estate's in a bubble, the surface of the earth real estate, you wait until it's not a bubble, because mm -hmm. the bubbles always pop. And if interest rates come up here over this next few months or years with the tapering or what have you, you're going to have a pop in the real estate market, because a lot of real estate is funded with debt. Mm -hmm. People have to be able to afford it. So I had a client, tell a quick story. Uh, I had a client uh, in Oregon, and he stands up every time we have a conference and he tells this story because he's so thankful. But back in 2005, Don McIlvaney, the man who hired me originally, 
uh, told him he had over 100 properties, rental properties, and it was leveraged. And he told him to sell that we were in a real estate bubble. He says, put your money in gold temporarily and then go back in and buy that same real estate. And he ended up tripling, he ended up tripling his real estate by 2011 mm -hmm. by simply not being there for the bubble pop. And so wow. it's a strategy. Um, so, so you mentioned, you mentioned tapering, um, uh, which, which basically means that the Fed stops kind of printing a ton of money in its, in its right. operations, right? And so right. interest rates would go up because they're no longer artificially suppressing them. So my question is, do, do we think, there's kind of uh, two questions here. If they are brave enough to do so, right? So I'm, I'm not sure they are. Um, because, <laughs> I agree, yeah. Because yeah. it would right. destroy everything, um, especially with, um, with, with, with the 2022 elections coming up. Um, right. I, I think it's either that they have a choice to either raise interest rates, which they can't afford to pay the debt on with that unless they print more money, um, or hold interest rates down. They're, they're, either way, I think they're going to be printing more money. Yeah. Um, and so one of the, it brings me back to the, to the Great Depression. One of the, the arguments or misconceptions is that the Federal Reserve didn't do enough. Um, so does that tie in briefly, um, like how the depression happened, um, why it was worsened by the government? Are we looking at that in terms of hyperinflation uh, with, with how much money we're printing? What might that look like given we are the reserve currency um, uh, of the world? And also, uh, or is it deflation um, or stagflation? There's, there's so many different flations terms being thrown out uh, right. for the average person to parse through. And I, I don't think they understand it. They just see their prices going up. Sure. Sure. Well, okay. So hyperinflation, probably one of the best definitions of hyperinflation in this century, this last century was Germany in 1920 to 1922. And they started at about two or 3%. This was after World War One. they were paying their war deficits. Uh, so we can say there's a crisis, whether it's the, the Spanish flu, or whether it's World War One, or whether it's COVID, we can always find an excuse or a government can to print too much money. And what Germany did back in the 1920s was they printed too much money and they went through a hyperinflation that was millions of percent per, I mean, it just got to be ridiculous. So that ruins, that ruins people. What that is, that's the final outcome. And I'm not saying that that's where we're going, but that's the final outcome of doing what we're doing right now. You know, um, there's politicians will always rename the ability to give themselves free money. Right now, the new name is modern monetary theory. And you've got some proponents out there who, what they do is they dazzle you with these weird economic things so that they can say that it's okay to just create money and the government will never run out. Well, that's fine. But if you're raising a child and you're teaching them about debt and money, you're gonna tell them one, don't borrow more than you can, pay back, right? And the second thing is you're going to say money doesn't grow on trees. You're going to have to go work for it. Money has scarcity. That's the whole Bitcoin thing, scarcity Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. So, but the government's going to tell you two things that are completely different every time, whether it's John Law's France back in the early 1700s when they went through a hyperinflation, whether it's Germany, whether in here, they're going to tell you, no, we can spend deficits with no tears. We can have an unbelievable amount of deficit, not worry about it. And yes, money does grow on trees. And since it's our money, we can pay our deficit back with it. That's 
the whole reserve currency modern monetary theory argument. The problem is it's been tried every single time with a different name and every single time it destroys the currency. So as an answer to the question, we're going to probably see, you know, this disparity between the rich and the poor, it's getting like it's never been in the past. And it's because we buy into and allow for these stupid philosophies with different names that still say we can spend as much as we want and money grows on trees. That's really the bottom line. So, yeah, I, I, I think you mentioned, you mentioned modern monetary theory, uh, very popularized by Stephanie Kelton, who basically right. argues that, um, uh, America doesn't need to be run like a household because the U.S. dollar is a reserve currency, meaning other countries must trade in it, so it's always in demand. And right. and one of the one of the things that she argues is politicians say is that oh we don't, where are we going to get the the money to buy this or spend this? And her argument is that taxation is not for the purpose of spending, but we rather spend first and tax the excess after. Right. And 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 that and the people that believe in this believe we can solve all of our social ills and generate prosperity because of this position as the world's currency and that the only thing to be concerned about is inflation um and she rejects the the quantity theory of of money but instead argues it that you have inflation when when the growth of of the money supply or whatever surpasses the actual things going on like actual production um, like labor and capital so we you know we are, we have inflation. We have no production. I, I can't think to a time recently that we've had any production. So how is this gaining any uh, viability in the mainstream? And um, is there any more to that that I'm, that we're just missing here? Well, it's like a drug dealer. Okay, a drug dealer who tells you that heroin's not going to hurt you. If you want heroin, you're gonna you're gonna believe him at least long enough to you know, to take the heroin. This is just the same. I mean, it really is. This goes back even, uh, I was reading, uh, Winston Churchill wrote a book called the history of the English speaking people. And I was reading in it. Uh, he wrote this just right after world war two. And he said back about 300 and some odd AD, uh, the, uh, the Brits had buried a bunch of gold because the Roman coins had been devalued. What, what the Romans did to inflate was they just took more and more gold out of the coins until they didn't have it. Okay. They just debased the currency. That's how they inflated it. So they could also have free money because it used to be a gold coin. Now it's a copper coin. If, if you know what I'm saying, same image on the coin. Well, the Brits to protect themselves from inflation had buried this huge cache of gold uh, because the Roman empire was failing and they had to protect themselves. So this is not a new, this is not a new thing. Even the Greeks had a death penalty for anybody who took silver off of their standard, you know, back 700 years before Christ. So the government wants you to think that there's a new system, you know, Stephanie Kelton is singing a song that the government likes and that the people don't understand. And see, that's the whole deal. It's like a magic show. As long as you're not watching the hand that's doing the trick, you're fooled. Yeah, I, I think one of the interesting things with with all of these things, economics, whatever, is that I think these people genuinely believe what they think, and it's almost like how do you how do you win that um, in terms of it, it? It seems like this it's happened throughout history. I remember you recommended the, the book you mentioned about France and and Rome. They're, they they take the metals out of the currency. It fails. There's been no fiat currency that has survived. And yet here we are 
with people pushing the same things under a different umbrella, I suppose, if, if anything. Right. It, it's history is uh, rhyming, right? Well, and this, this may offend some of your listeners if they're smokers, but you know, I lost <laughs> several family members to emphysema. And the thing that bought, just blows my mind living here in Durango, Colorado, because it gets cold in the wintertime. I watch people standing outside of you know, retail stores or whatever in you know, sub-zero temperatures smoking a cigarette that is likely ultimately to shorten their life. Mm-hmm. We're human. Okay. If you can give, if somebody, if you can give somebody the promise of free money, they'll always take it. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. Uh, I think that's true. Even, you know, it's the, it ends up hurting them in the end. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think one of the last things that we can cover is, uh, is, is that is the debt stuff going on right now. Uh, there's a lot of debate uh, going on about the debt ceiling and all that. Um, uh, Kristen Cinema was recently followed into a bathroom. They, harassed uh joe manchin uh in his maserati um uh basically holding them hostage um so so we're at this time of year where people are freaking out about the debt ceiling um saying we gotta we gotta pay our debts we gotta pay our debts every every uh i don't know every so every year basically it feels like this is happening i remember in high school there was like a three-day government shutdown and they always end up raising the debt ceiling right the government never reigns in its spending all the projections that they do it's like oh we're going to cut the deficit but not really it's how much of the deficit we plan to acquire that we're cutting um it seems like it's a it's a pretty big dog and pony show um they will always raise the debt ceiling um is it is can you explain to viewers why raising the debt ceiling is a default in and of itself and what would happen if they didn't? Yeah, well, this takes me back to that period of time in the late 1800s through 1914. Uh, We really couldn't run debt because you had to balance, it's called balance of payments. So between various countries uh, and between the people in the country, you had to shift gold into their accounts when you paid them in dollars. Okay, and the the Europeans had to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So what you have is you have little mini crisis. This goes back to your question about the Great Depression. Uh, Ben Bernanke being a free money, print money kind of guy, did his doctoral work uh, and his doctoral thesis on why gold, staying with the gold standard caused the depression. It didn't. What he really wanted to argue was if the Federal Reserve just had the same freedom that they have now, we would have never had the depression. The truth is that we had little depressions and very quick ones, and then growth spurts, and it would go back and forth. So yes, there was a little bit of pain. All economic systems have to adjust to supply, demand, employment, unemployment, various things like that. But in a sound money system, it adjusts itself, and men can't just create money on their own. What we're, what we're looking at here is deficit spending. And the, the idea behind that is, okay, so if we can print money, why can't we just borrow unlimited like we talked before? Uh, if you're a politician, you don't understand it, to be honest with you. I hate to say it, but I haven't talked to many po- politicians that understand economics at all. So uh, actually, I got a couple of clients that are senators that do. But for the most part, they don't understand economics. They understand politics. And what politics is, is you're trying to apply power from your party for a furtherance of your agenda. So this this whole thing that we go through on raising the debt ceiling is just a song and dance. Like you said, it's just a circus. 
Because what you have is you've got Democrats and Republicans that have certain programs that they would like to see paid for. And they're going to, so if, you know, if you're Joe Biden and there's a Republican in office, you're going to always be against raising the debt ceiling until, you know, you come up with some conclusion. Yep. If you're Trump, you know, or you, you know what I'm saying, you, you're going to, and I was talking about when Biden was not the president, when he was, you know, uh, his other public service, but the Democrats and the Republicans play this game so that they can always add programs. You grow the Leviathan. You just want it to be your program, not the other guys. Yep. So. Yep. Um, anyway, uh, I, I want to uh, thank you for for taking the time uh, to speak. I always love your knowledge of history and relating it back. It's always fascinating. Um, I don't. I do read a lot, but <laughs> you bring always bring something else to the table. You um, do read a lot, by the way. I want to give you kudos. <laughs> I'm like, wow. You know, you really ask great questions. So. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, right now I'm taking a break from uh, some of the economics and stuff, and I'm reading Bad Blood about uh, the Theranos founder. Uh, pretty interesting book. <laughs> but uh, I'm not familiar, so I'll have to look oh, into it. It, it yeah. is is pure bubble economics. In 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 yeah, it's 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 insane. Um, really, some people are making the comparison to uh, Moderna. Um, you oh, know, really? Yeah, I mean uh, Pfizer dropped their um, their their antiviral pill today, so their stock is up, and all these other Moderna is basically just a vaccine uh, manufacturer, so their stock is going down. But I noticed that uh, J&J is a, le a lot less affected, um, and Pfizer is also benefiting because they have other business lines that they mm. actually work on. It's not just vaccination. Mm. Um, anyway, <laughs> wow. where can uh, where can people uh, reach out to you or, or, or learn more information? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to send some information. We, you know, uh, we've got quite a bit that... Uh, from an economic standpoint, we can help with, or if a person's interested in gold or the triangle, uh, just call me. My direct line is 970-385-3125, 970-385-3125. And uh, I can be contacted by email at Kevin Orick, K-E-V-I-N-O-R-R-I-C-K at McIlvaney.com. That's M-C-A-L-V-A-N-Y.com. That would be the easiest. And that way, if a person wants to have actually a, a personal conversation, we can schedule it. Uh, you know, and I always, I always enjoy my calls with you too, David. I wanted to let you know, you know, you, you are an inquisitive sort and you, you're not satisfied with just what the common answer is. And yeah, keep that up with your, with your you know, blog and podcast. Thank you. And, uh, and you also do a, a podcast weekly, right? Uh, where, where people can, can listen and learn a little bit more as well. Yes, it's called the McIlvaney Weekly Commentary, McIlvaneyweeklycommentary.com. So awesome. Yeah, thank you. So uh, thank you for your, uh, for your time, Kevin. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you, David. All right. Thank you for joining this episode of the Opposing Points podcast.